foreign influence, terrorism, possible intervention. Protests on a weekly basis and clashes with police. That's become the new reality in Hong Kong. Demonstrators of all ages with their children, despite thousands of arrests, some 10,000 rounds of tear gas fired by the police over the last six months. We are now here to fight for our freedom and most importantly to fight for our future. After over a year of demonstrations, there seems to be no evidence of dying down at all. These protests have caused countless issues thought buried to rise from the pits, and now many are left asking, how did all of this happen? This question is exactly what I'll be answering in this new podcast. Hi, my name is Mohammed Hassan, here in my garage, and this is Hong Kong Highwire. In this fourth and final episode of Hong Kong Highwire, we are going to be wrapping up the podcast by finally bringing a conclusion to the events we have discussed. By bringing a conclusion, I mean by first, of course, discussing conclusions or even solutions to the Hong Kong situation, and as I'm sure the Chinese government likes to call it, the Hong Kong problem. Now we'll be looking at uh, different entities such as media and the like, which have already done us the kindness of positing a whole bunch of different ideas already. Of course, I plan to also bring up the more biased solutions as well to keep things interesting. But to truly add some depth, I'd like to tie in some details from previous episodes. And now, to begin. Now, as I'm sure I've said a good few times already, the situation in Hong Kong is an ever-developing, evolving affair. One day, there'll be an incredibly peaceful demonstration, no violence whatsoever, and then the next, it'll be all-out anarchy. Streets blocked, transportation services halted, or even sometimes destroyed entirely. Protesters beaten by white-clad mobs, and even death is present. Or perhaps, in a single day, the violently loud streets become tranquil and quiet after the threat of a disease, and just as quickly, back again to anger, once the very same threat has died down, even just the slightest bit. Even in the blink of an eye can things change, as evidenced by a memorial-turned-massively-violent protest. So after hearing such a thing, you can't help but wonder what idea, what solution could possibly bring about an end to such a tumultuous time. So, let's discuss. To really kick things off, I thought we'd talk about China. Although I think it'll be best if I start at the very beginning of China's dealings with Hong Kong's protests. After 1997, the original date of the handover of Hong Kong to China from British hands, China was keen on mostly respecting all of Hong Kong's autonomy. Not because the ruling party was okay with it being a sort of separate entity. Oh no, they only respected Hong Kong's autonomy because of Hong Kong contributing a pretty large chunk to China's economy. Actually, back in 1997, Hong Kong made up about 16% of China's gross domestic product. 
oh, uh, gross domestic product or GDP, if you will, is the monetary um, the monetary value or uh, worth of uh, like all of the finished products and services made within a country during a um, specific period of time. Now, 16% is a pretty large number, but now in 2020, that number has dwindled and it's hit uh, the single digits, as in only about 3%. According to the Foreign Policy Research Institute, now considering how low it's gotten, China has become much more brazen and enthusiastic about undermining Hong Kong authority. Alright, so... China's first response to the protests was, well, pretty predictable. They basically completely pretended like the protesters didn't exist. Like they weren't even happening. Business as usual, if you would. China completely refused to cover any events, even the storming of the Legislative Council. And as I mentioned previously in other episodes, Cap the council was vandalized pretty heavily. Instead, China's beloved and fun state-controlled media showed endless propaganda that celebrated the original handover of Hong Kong to China in 1997, and it then becoming a special administrative zone. Yet this laziness has since changed in the past few months, pretty radically as the protests have escalated in fervor and the protesters themselves increasing in support, as the recent elections have exemplified, showing a large percentage of votes going to the pro-democracy camp. Another subject that's seen an increase in China's war against the truth, as the intensity of the protests has caused them to begin to fabricate their own views on the occurrences, to then, of course, spoon-feed to their citizens. The Chinese government has gone all out to convince its people that the protests are foreign in origin, and that the people protesting are attempting to bring about the collapse and complete downfall of China, and that they're also being paid by foreign interests, which can honestly only serve to greatly sour the mainland's views towards the protesters and their goals. And quite unfortunately, this tactic has been working. Actually, this falsifying reminds me of a story I read in August of 2019, in which both social media giants, Facebook and Twitter, stated that they had uncovered accounts, multiple accounts, that were traced back to China, spreading false news about the Hong Kong protests, specifically one false event that I've spoken about in previous episodes, after a protester had been shot in the eye by an officer, Chinese media showed a video of a protester accepting money, quite obviously trying to make a point that the entire event had been completely faked, in which all the protesters had been paid to protest. Although the only fake thing about the video was the very video itself being presented by the Chinese government. China has also had a fun time claiming that the West, specifically the U.S., has been doing its utter darndest to excite unrest in Hong Kong by paying, oh yes, paying protesters actual money. It seems that China's fierce belief in these rumors, well, some rumors they've spread, have been uh, snaking their way across the borders and straight into the minds of citizens from all over the world of Chinese descent. 
as anti-Hong Kong protest demonstrations were held in Australia, a country in which these demonstrators have the gift of an internet service that does not restrict their news. Yet this far-reaching patriotism and belief in China's words is quite worrying, as it signifies how deeply ingrained within uh, citizens it is that China is always right, even the citizens who have the gift of knowing the truth. What's more worrying is the escalation of China's rhetoric, as they've taken to calling the protesters' actions kind of close to terrorism. Chinese state-run news outlets have, of course, regurgitated the government's words, going so far as to even calling the demands of the protesters a malignant virus. These actions raise alarm bells in my mind, as they can only spell out doom. And doom is a pretty drastic word, I know. But I mean, these recent measures taken by China seem to be meaning that an intervention is certainly going to be a possibility. And that's not something that'll end well for pro-democracy groups. Now, there only seem to be two ways that China can send support. Support meaning, of course, a small detachment of the Chinese People's Liberation Army. The first way is, of course, if the Hong Kong government decides to request direct assistance and support from Hong Kong to help maintain order. But they've been quite hesitant doing this, as it would be tantamount to admitting that they can't handle the situation and that they're pretty incompetent. The second reason, which I see being much less likely, is if China, if the National People's Congress Standing Committee, oh, that's a mouthful, uh, the powerful permanent body of the National People's Congress, basically the national legislature, either literally declares war on Hong Kong, or at least a state of emergency. And although I think it'll be unlikely, China's recent words on the matter have been seemingly chosen to back themselves up if they ever decide to use it. These words specifically being, of course, the kind of close terrorism remark and especially the malignant virus remark. Actually, now, once again, I'm reminded by another piece of useful information. You see, there's a paper called the Global Times, the Chinese language of which is, well, to say the least, a flaming pile of incredibly nationalistic dictation and especially rhetoric. I mean, the paper quite literally states that demonstrators, both on account of their black outfits and their armed occupation of parts of the city, increasingly resemble the fanatical fighters of the Islamic State. Then, of course, it went on to add... The next step would be to take hostages and blackmail the government. If the demands are not met, we can expect the execution of the hostages. The reputation of Hong Kong's universities and the whole city has already become their hostage. The radical demonstrators are spreading a new form of terrorism. They are making themselves a kind of human bomb. They shout, burn together, and commit suicide bombings against this modern city. Yep, human bombs. That, uh, that paints a picture. 
This here, this paper, is the exact opposite of what will ultimately lead to peace. All it's doing is stoking the fire. And to what end, I, I don't know. I don't. But I sure hope that it's not an end in which the people are okay with the government declaring war on Hong Kong or declaring a state of emergency. Because both of those seem to be more and more likely as the days go on. And both of those are more and more dangerous. But, hopefully, that doesn't mean they will. It's, of course, impossible to say what China will do. I mean, who knows what's going on in their minds. But it would be a truly dramatic and ex very surprising and excessive escalation if they do ultimately decide to um, declare war on Hong Kong. Now, although Hong Kong isn't exactly the big fish it once was, economically speaking, the fact remains that Hong Kong is currently bound to China, and as so, is a useful and extremely important global, commercial, and financial capital. As I've stated in previous episodes, many of China's leaders have pooled their money in Hong Kong banks, trillions upon trillions of dollars. And if China were to make their way into Hong Kong quite forcefully, there would be such a disruption in the city's economy that it would make the protests look like small beans, especially considering that Hong Kong entered a recession a while ago in um, October, I believe. But I mean, China's economy hasn't been doing that well either recently, which can only mean that the Chinese communist leaders are going to be even more protective of their money and in turn, even more careful of their actions, especially actions that would cause economic harm. Not only that, but it could also cause potential harm in Hong Kong citizens actually, you know, being alive, which I can only assume would anger Hong Kong residents, maybe just a little. And that would, of course, cause international anger and condemnation of the Chinese government, and especially Xi Jinping, who has slowly become more and more susceptible to these attacks as he's become more of a despot-like figure. Honestly, China seems stuck, unwilling to compromise on one hand, but of course, unable to find a summer to finish to its Hong Kong problem on the other. So now, why don't we talk about the media and news? Most of Chinese media and, well, news organizations are pretty predictable. Before even listening to a single word of CGTN, or in other words, China Global Television Network, I speculated exactly what they'd say. You see... Since Chinese global television network is known as a mouthpiece of the government, meaning that they speak for the government, they just regurgitate what they say, I knew that they would ex echo exactly what I stated earlier. Their views were completely in line with, one, with what one would expect them to say. They dismissed accusations deflected the possibility of police brutality, something that's been continually rising in importance, as there have been 
cases of members of press even being attacked by police with pepper sprayings and other projectiles, as well as police helmets being fitted with strobe lights to prevent the use of cameras and the like to record arrests. Back to the dismissing. The correspondents speaking were saying things along the line of, hey, what about other countries? Their police is much more rough and tough than Hong Kong's, uh, and Hong Kong has a very disciplined police force, much more than other countries. And honestly, after watching all of that, I wasn't surprised at all about the Chinese populace's feelings on the police matter, by which I mean the fact that most of the Chinese citizens claim that Hong Kong's police force has been far too gentle, and that they should be much, much, much more rough with the protesters, some even advocating for them to quite literally beat these dissidents to death. Yeah. Now I'd like to talk about a solution that's perhaps a little more conducive to the not wanting to beat people to death for having different thoughts part of my brain, which is all of my brain. I don't have a part of my brain that does. One such solution was offered by a writer for Rand by the name of Derek Grossman, who states that, and I quote, any return to normalcy is going to require both parties, the Hong Kong government and protesters to make difficult, even risky, compromises. But if done in good faith, Hong Kong can finally move past this painful memory in its history. And honestly, I agree with him. Many of the protesters' demands should be able to be met, specifically the looking into police brutality. If there's nothing to hide, why not? I honestly do not see any reason for them not to allow this, except, of course, that there is police brutality and excessive amounts of it. One demand I see the protesters having to yield is the fourth, and the second is the fifth. The fourth being the changing of the government classification of the protests as riots, mainly because they would look bad in that situation if they were to say that they were wrong and that these were not riots, these were protests. They would look bad in front of their um, mainland citizens and they, in turn these citizens would lose trust in their government, which is the worst thing that could happen to China. It is the last thing they want. Now, the fifth demand may have to be yielded as well as I stated previously, because the mainland still ardently supports the leader of the Hong Kong government, um, Carrie Lam. Now, there doesn't seem to be uh, many offered solutions that actually have a concrete base. Mostly, they're just shots in the dark that have no way of actually hitting their mark and working. Or they're the ones that are favored by the pro-China groups, which is literally just physically hurting people. Uh, so, you know, it's not exactly the most thought-out solution, or a good one, like, at all, but a compromised, that is what the future has to hold if things are to return to normal without any more bloodshed. 
but unfortunately, I'm unsure if China will ever accept a compromise. And just as I'm unsure of that, I'm unsure of the protesters' ability to acquiesce to a compromise, as they might be offered terms they don't agree with at all. But sacrifices must indeed need to be made on both sides. That might just be the only way to see a true and fair resolution to this turbulent and dangerous situation. And so this wraps up the fourth and unfortunately final episode of Hong Kong Highwire. All I can leave you with is hope. Hope for a better future. I have been Mohammed Hassan here in my garage.